This is On the Border with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. A Red Apple Podcast production. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. Welcome to this installment of On the Border. I'm James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. Our guest host is... Todd Benzman, who's with the Center for Immigration Studies. You can find his incredible work at CIS.org. Welcome, Todd, to this installment. And you have a new article that appears on CIS.org. Expanding air deportations coincide with falling border apprehensions. Tell us about that. Sure. Well, the numbers that came in for January, uh, apprehensions at the border, were astoundingly high. You can imagine two full Super Bowl stadiums full of immigrants crossed the border in a single four-week period. It was huge. But uh, so has every month for the last year been huge. And that particular one was down by about by about 14%. And that was down by about 67,000 from the peak in July. So the numbers are starting to creep down slowly, like the trend line is coming down, although everything is still in the ionosphere. And I think that the reason for this is a secret airlift that the Biden administration has ordered up of Central American women and children and Haitians and now Venezuelans and Ecuadorans. And they're expanding this to Nicaraguans and Brazilians, and they they are flying immigrants who reach the Texas border home from Texas airports before they get in. And this is not very well reported. It's fact I, I may be the only one uh, who is bothering with any of this because people on both sides of the aisle don't really want to know about it for their own reasons. <laughs> but mm. they they do co- they do seem to correspond with declines in Haitians, Central Americans, very steep declines in Central Americans, and probably pretty soon we'll start to see uh, big declines in the Venezuelans. And my theory for this is that the midterm elections are coming up and the Biden people are looking just terrible in the polls on this issue. This is probably uh, their major Achilles heel uh, right next to Afghanistan and maybe the uh, coronavirus you know, federal mandates. And, and maybe inflation uh, skyrocketing and people having to spend hundreds yeah, of dollars just to buy gasoline. So I'm just putting that out there that the Biden administration may actually be doing something uh, that is being, that is effective. And air deportation is about the most effective measure that there is. Donald Trump uh, used it very usefully and uh it it reduced the numbers down to where they were when he bequeathed bequeathed a really managed border to the biden administration which fouled it up immediately so um, i'm just thinking maybe there's a little bit of hope even if it's for all the wrong reasons i think we need a few more months of data to, to really know for sure but the numbers are very significant i think it's well over a hundred thousand that these airlifts have been sending back to their home countries. That is unreported anywhere else. Todd, what is, and let me bounce some news stories off of you from some other sources. This was from a local, uh, a local outfit, a local television station in Florida. 
And they're reporting that right now there is a bipartisan bill that is working its way through Florida to crack down on companies that contract with the federal government to fly undocumented immigrants, illegal immigrants, into the state of Florida. These clandestine flights, as you know, come in during the dead of night. Most people don't know who's on the flights. They drop off these illegal immigrants. Well, what the bill is in Florida is that, okay, we can't stop you from working with the feds, but if your airline, if your company works with the federal government to do this, your company won't be able to work with the state in anything. Are you surprised that there is this kind of activity happening in Florida and it may spread to some other states? Not at all. For one thing, the governor out there is red. And other states that have red governors are wanting to find some way. They're frustrated uh, to, by federal policy they can't seem to have any uh, say or input into that is delivering thousands and thousands of illegal immigrants into their states. And by, by that, it is enticing ever more to come through, and they want to come up with some sort of a creative, innovative way to deter that. And the way that they're selecting, I think, is smart if it works, if it holds up under uh, litigation, which will almost surely follow, uh, which is to uh, penalize, to make it costly for the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations like Catholic Charities and a whole bunch of other ones that are contracted with the federal government to help resettle these immigrants. And I think that's what that's what they're they're trying to do. I think it's a it's a really interesting play, but we'll see if it holds up. It's going to be a, a litigation. It'll be a while before before those actually uh, settle out into uh, policy. But they're important. Now, let me ask you about another story that appeared and get your opinion on this one. This one came from the New York Times, and it was in the last week. It was in actually the last day of February that it was uh, published. How immigration politics drives some Hispanic voters to the GOP in Texas. Now, of all places, they looked at Brownsville, Texas, and what they're finding is that many of the legal immigrants who are Hispanic are as fed up with the out-of-control border as other Americans are. Are you surprised that some of these Hispanics are now finding that the Republican policies on immigration are more to their values than what has been happening so far with the Democrat Party? That report in the New York Times collates perfectly with my own reporting down there on the border. I spent a lot of time on the Texas side in those precincts. Those precincts are historically blue. They, in living memory, they've never been anything but blue. Uh, but in the 2020 election, they went red. A lot of them went red, and, and the ones that didn't quite go red came within you know, just a hair of being red. And when I talk to people down there, and I mean, you know, uh, Democrats and Republicans alike, what they tell me is that these Mexican Americans did it the legal way, they did it the right way. They waited their turn, they paid their dues, they spent the money, they filled out the paperwork, they went through what 
ever they had to go through to become citizens and uh, legal residents. And they are pissed to see all these people, thousands upon thousands, coming into the country and gaining those exact benefits by cutting the line and breaking all the rules that they abided by. It's infuriating. They hate it. And they'll tell you that. Uh, it doesn't take very much to get them talking business owners and school teachers and sheriffs and police officers and you name it. Uh, they're down there. And the other thing that maybe the New York Times didn't mention is that people down there work for the federal government. They are Border Patrol agents. They're ICE agents. They're CBP uh, people that man the international bridges and they are involved in the whole apparatus. And they saw liberal Democrats across the country all through 2020 calling them racists, uh, saying that they should be abolished, abolish ICE, uh, you know, attacking Border Patrol agents on horseback who are just doing their jobs, nothing wrong uh, with swinging the reins and that sort of thing. They saw the president side with uh, them against the Border Patrol. Uh, not giving the Border Patrol the benefit of the doubt or ICE or anybody else. And those people are fed up with it. That they, Their families are part of that apparatus, and they don't appreciate being called racist and fascist. Most of them are Mexican-Americans. Wow. That, is gonna, that could have the ability to change the dynamic of the elections if that sentiment spreads in other states. And it is not the same, and this is one of the things that has political observers questioning what the impact will be. This is not the same as the what is viewed as the entrenched black vote. The Hispanic vote is considered more movable. And so if this trend continues, this could spell out big problems for the Democrat Party. It's very significant, and... Remember, Texas is being floated as kind of a going purple, getting kind of purpley, uh, maybe we right. swing Texas. And not with those precincts down there. If you don't have those precincts down there, you'll never uh, move Texas to the blue column. And it's absolutely pivotal uh, for national elections, uh, especially from the viewpoint of Republicans, that those precincts get redder and redder. Those are the saving grace for Texas, keeping Texas in the red column. The United States, according to uh, NDTV.com, has now reached 65,000 H-1B visa. That's the cap for 2022 already. We are into the third month of the year, barely, and already the H-1B visa, that's the non-immigrant visa that allows U.S. companies to employ foreign workers, and the tech industry really uses that to bring in labor from India and China. We've already reached the limit of that visa cap. What do you think will be the impact of that? Do you think that we are likely to see uh, Congress act on that and say we need to raise the cap so we can bring in more foreign workers? Or do you foresee that this could be a problem for the tech industry? Well, the H-1B visa issue falls squarely on the partisan divide in this country. Uh, remember that Donald Trump saw those as a threat to American first policy, to American jobs, because they saw these tech companies 
implementing H-1B replacement uh, employees for American workers. And we saw this happen uh, where, you know, a big tech company would uh, bring in H-1B workers from India and have their American workers train them to replace them and then fire all the Americans uh, because it's worth billions of dollars. And so Trump was working uh, diligently, always worked diligently to reduce H-1B because it was anathema to American citizen workers with for good jobs. Those are very well-paying jobs. It's just that, you know, Indians will do them for considerably less. Uh, so, you know, you can kind of see what the dynamic is there. And so under the Biden administration, though, they have reversed all of that and are pushing uh, with these Democrat-leaning tech moguls uh, and their lobby organizations to keep moving the cap up so that they can keep bringing these replacement workers in to replace Americans. And that all falls on the partisan divide. And you're going to find uh, Republicans and Democrats uh, trading blows over that for a while. Well, we'll see what the future holds with that. It could be. This could be a real election issue if it becomes more of a national issue and if it's given the spotlight. So far, there hasn't been that much reporting on it. Now, the last thing, Todd, that we have today would be um, the high court has weighed in. The Supreme Court has weighed into this Trump immigration rule that the administration has abandoned. And that's the public charge rule. Can you explain to people, since the Supreme Court is going to be looking at this public charge rule, exactly what it is and what's the fuss? Well, the general contours of that controversy run kind of like this. Uh, people who want to control the border and to uh, reduce illegal mass immigration at the border recognize that one of the great enticements for that is when they reach the border and get in, that they can qualify relatively quickly, especially if they apply for asylum, for which none of them are eligible because they're economic migrants, but they still qualify for public welfare benefits, the whole range of everything, uh, housing and food stamps and, uh, you know, you name it, they can qualify for it. And so what the Trump administration sought to do there was eliminate a lot of that as an enticement. And there was litigation that followed. The Democrats were, you know, this is cruel and heartless. Um, the Republicans were, hey, this is an enticing uh, and expensive burden on the American taxpayers. Again, American for America first kind of a thing. And uh, now we're finally seeing the fight get to a point where it's going to get decided by the Supreme Court. So uh, as to whether or not an administration has the authority to do that, which, you know, I'm not a Supreme Court justice, but it seems clear that, you know, that is a power that the executive office has. Well, we shall see again. We'll just have to keep our eye on it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Many years ago, you had to have a sponsor, and you had to prove if you were going to immigrate to the United States that you had the means 
to take care of yourself without using public assistance. And by the way, many other nations around the world require that. You can't just come in their countries and immediately seek to go on, um, on as the taxpayers of that nation paying for your subsistence. Was that a part of the American immigration system years ago? Well, I think there still is, uh, to an extent, that, that is the expectation for legal immigration to provide visas to uh, work at, like the H-1B uh, and others. So, you know, they're, they're not going to want, uh, we don't want to have family reunification, uh, chain migration uh, involving uh, you know, brothers and uncles and cousins who get here and are not able to support themselves and don't have any means of support. So there is some of that. But what happens is there are all these other loopholes, like, you know, one of the biggest segment, segments of illegal, illegally present people in the country are those who came in on tourist visas or some other kind of temporary visas and just stayed illegally. And then, you know, they get, you know, TS, uh, you know, temporary protective status and other kinds of things. They apply for asylum. And there are millions of people who have overstayed. Probably the, the biggest segment of illegally present people in the United States are visa overstayers. And then they eventually get into the queue for public benefits. And so uh, this isn't, I think, really about what we allow uh, for legal kind of permanent residence, uh, so much as a problem with, you know, it, people crossing the border and asylum seekers and visa overstays and all of that, all of these different categories that tap into the system. Todd, you are such a wealth of information, man. You should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am. I'm writing one. I've got another one coming. And Todd Benzman is our co-host. This is uh, it for our episode, today's installment of on the border. Todd, before we leave, tell people where they can reach you on social media and how can they can find your work. Well, I'm on Getter, T. Benzman at Getter and at Benzman Todd at uh, Twitter. And you can read most of my work at ToddBenzman.com and the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. I'm there too. Thank you. We will see you for our next installment of On the Border.